You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. And so we're going to look at this the first. Um, and the, the first section there breaks into um, three sections, each with four lines. So one and two is four lines, and then at three and four, four lines, and then five, uh, verse five mirrors verses one and two. So, so these verses break into three little sections. But in the first um, part, first couple of verses, David testifies to the joy of forgiven sin. Blessed or happy is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And if you know the Psalms, um, you'll, you'll hear echoes here of Psalm 1. Do you remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1, all about this, this blessed man who continually delights and rejoices in this sort of fellowship with the Lord. And that can be a little bit devastating if we read that and think, well, I don't feel much like the blessed man of Psalm 1. Um, And so we come to Psalm 32. It's a great encouragement. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. But actually, uh, we can... We can know the blessedness of Psalm 1 because of the blessedness that our sins can be forgiven. Uh, the only one who's the true, the true blessed man of Psalm 1 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and it is through him and through his death that we can know that blessedness. And then so Psalm 32 just instructs us that, that this happiness and joy is a joy that sinners can have. It's the joy of sins forgiven. And really these first five verses. Look at that. So I'm going to spend most of our time looking at these first five verses. And David, he uses um, three words to talk about our sin in these first couple of verses. Three words which, uh, by which he uses to speak of our uh, alienation from our creator. Three words really which help us to grasp the, the multifaceted sort of dimensions and character of our sin. Uh, first word is transgression, speaks of our rebellion, of breaking God's law. Uh, sin means uh, missing the mark. It's taken from the, originally from, from what's well, used in the world of archery, when you miss a mark. I think of those Olympic um, athletes who are missing those tiny, they're, they're missing the mark and they're, they're sinning, they're falling short. It speaks of falling short of a mark. We fall short of God's glory. Um, and iniquity speaks, well, it speaks on the one hand of our uh, inner corruption, our inner twistedness, and the other hand of our actual legal guilt before a holy God, the God who is there, the God who exists. So three words to talk about um, our, our sin, but then three words to talk about uh, the forgiveness of our sins. And the one who is forgiving our sins, uh, the, the agent, the one who is forgiving our sins, is, is the Lord here. Blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, literally is, is lifted up. And it's the Lord who is lifting our, our sins up, up, off our shoulders. 
they remember um, Pilgrim's Progress. You know, some, some of your children have been, have been reading Pilgrim's Progress with, with Michael on, on Wednesday night, and there's that, that famous bit where Christian comes to the cross and he has a, a heavy burden on his back, the weight of his sin, and, and it falls off his back and, and goes into the, the tomb. That is a, a picture of uh, transgressions being lifted up, removed, and he, he walks on with a, a joyful, merry heart. Um, who's, um, and happy is the one whose sin is covered. So we try to cover over our sin um, in, a, in a sort of negative way, cover it up, hide it, minimise it. I knew a, I knew a, I knew a man who, um, when his desk got messy, he would, uh, he would take a blanket and uh, cover, cover the desk with a blanket, and then he'd sort of start again on the desk with new, new bills and new unpaid things and items, and this would get covered. And then, then he'd get another blanket and do, do, do again until the desk became the sort of sedimentary layers of blankets and cover. So, so we sometimes cover over our sins in terms of not dealing with them. But when the Lord covers our sin, it, he deals with it. It's covered. It's dealt with. Okay? Blessed. Happy is the one whose sin is covered. And then happy is the one, uh, blessed is the one, and, and, and it's something here, uh, this third one, is something that God does not do in verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, or the Lord imputes no iniquity, or reckons no iniquity. So David was guilty of, of sin, and this psalm has got affinities with, with Psalm 51. Um, we don't know that he's confessing the sin of his, his adultery, but it's likely that it's, it's that, I think, that it's some grievous sin. But um, he, was, he was a guilty man, and, and we, we stand before God as those who are, are sinful. But happy is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And this... this um, this phrase of, of accounting, you might think of a, of a, a vast Excel spreadsheet or a table, and your name's at the top, and all your, your sins are sort of listed there in this great column of sins under your name, and there's, a, there's a, a penalty to be paid before a holy God for our sin. Uh, but happy is the one against whom the Lord reckons no sin. You think, well, how is that fair if God is holy? If he is just, how can he uh, not count us guilty for our sin? Well, we know the wonder of the gospel is that he imputes, he reckons our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that column is transferred under the name of Jesus Christ. He takes responsibility for our sin on the cross he dies for our sin our sin has been imputed to him happy is the one against whom the lord reckons no iniquity and the wonder of the cross is that not only is our sin imputed to christ but that his righteousness is imputed to us we are counted righteous in christ so at the end it says, shout for joy, O ye righteous. Well, how is anyone righteous? There's no one righteous. We are righteous in Jesus Christ. 
So it's this wonderful, we have the very heart of the gospel here. Um, and Paul, in the, the book of Romans, as he's, he's developing, um, he's expounding, explaining the gospel, um, he uses this psalm um, as he's explaining uh, the fact that we can be declared righteous, justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you read uh, Romans 4, you'll see he quotes this psalm and about how the Lord does not reckon impute our sin to us. Or happy is the one whose sin is not imputed to him. And then David adds, blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit. A man in whose spirit is no deceit is not, it's not the man who's never told a lie, but this is the one the person who is not hiding their sin. And this helps us then transition to that next section. Self-deception lies at the heart of sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8. And so self-deception and sin, they, they go together, don't they? Hiding things, hiding them from ourselves, from other people. Um, our sin, we try to cover it over from our, even our own consciousness. Well, verses 3 and 4, David then moves on to speak of his condition before he confessed his sins. So verse 3, when I kept silent, he's talking about the fact that he had not confessed his sins to God. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And that word groaning is used for the roaring of a lion. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's not talking about some bone disease. He's just talking about the very inner framework of his life was uh, was wasting away. Um, his unconfessed sin was having this deep, uh, degrading effect on his mind, on his whole self, on his very innermost being. His innermost being was was wasting away. Um, and on the, the surface of it, he kept that, that, that public face, kept going about, probably kept going to public worship. Um, but internally, he was afflicted with this. It's speaking of his, his inner turmoil. For day and night, verse 4, your hand was heavy upon me. Psalm 1, day and night, he's meditating on the, the law of the Lord. But here, day and night, your hand is heavy upon me. He's experiencing the disciplining hand of God. He's experiencing the conviction of sin. He says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He was sapped of his spiritual strength. So his unconfessed sin meant that he had lost his joy and his spiritual strength was sapped. He was in no condition to go and fight the Lord's battle, and he's brought under this battle, he's brought under this deep conviction of sin. It's important here that we just see the mercy of the Lord here. Uh, the Lord loved him too much to let him get away with it, his unconfessed sin, but um, how much worse is it when the Lord just lets people go in their sin, and they continue in sin, and their consciences are hardened, and they're, as it were, just dead in transgressions and sin. Here is the Lord actually at work in someone, bringing about 
that conviction of sin to draw them to repentance, to draw them to this to restoration, restoration of fellowship with, with God. And so when we when we sin and when we fail to confess our sin before God, we lose our joy. You'll lose your joy. And you'll, you'll jam yourself up inside. Unconfessed sin, whether it's unconfessed sin about uh, murmuring or gossip or lust or anything else like that, over time we just uh, lose our joy until we come to confess our sin before God and be restored to our Creator. Uh, and often people who are believers just carry around with them sin which has just been unco unconfessed. And so they can just become, uh, over time, uh, miserable. And, and sometimes people hold on to something like, like bitterness, which is confusing, isn't it? Because it's bitter, it's when someone sins against us, so we think it's their sin, but holding on to that is our sin. And sometimes we hold on to sin, hold on to our, our bitterness, and over time, that has an effect on, us, on our mind, it has an effect on us mentally. We can just lose our joy. Perhaps perhaps you can think back to a time in your life when you, you were in a path that you were a Christian, but you were uh, disobedient to God's commands, and you lost your joy. Um, and God was gave you a hard time for that and sought to bring you back. So when we sin, um, we don't lose our status as children of God. Uh, but we, it does disrupt and impair our fellowship and the enjoyment of the fellowship we have with God. It's like when your children um, sin against you or against each other. Uh, they're still your children. Uh, just their enjoyment of life in the family is uh, impaired, sometimes seriously impaired, until uh, they are restored. And so, um, and so the same with us with unconfessed sin. Now, we need to be careful... <coughs> We should not think that every time a believer faces uh, mental suffering or physical suffering, it's because of some kind of unconfessed sin. So someone with a hyperactive conscience is going to listen to this and, and start thinking, oh, no, I've had a miserable week. Uh, is it perhaps it's some unconfessed sin in my life? Well, uh, we can suffer mentally for all sorts of reasons. Um, tiredness and illness and grief. And, and often there's no connection with sin. And so the Jesus' disciples made that mistake, didn't they? They saw someone suffering, the man born blind, and, and then they asked Jesus, well, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus said, no, 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 no one sinned. Um, or or um, Job, his, Job's friends, come and they, they see him in his deep affliction and say, come on, Job, you know, cough it up. You've, you've sinned. You know, admit it. Um, and he says, no, no, I'm, I'm righteous now. So sometimes people suffer, and their suffering is not connected to any sin. So you can't sort of work the logic backwards. But nevertheless, when we sin and carry with us unconfessed sin, that will lead us to lose our joy and it will lead us to, to other uh, problems, sometimes even physical problems. Um, but then, verse 5, I acknowledged, he uncovered his sin. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. He didn't hide it anymore. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So he acknowledged his sin, and do you notice, he bring, where does he take his sin? In the first instance, he takes it to the Lord. He takes it to God. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of go around and go and find Nathan the prophet, and then go and make a public announcement. He does, 
then, then later there will be other consequences. But first of all, he comes and gets right with God. And that is, as we sin in our family, the first thing we need to do is to come before the Lord and confess our sins before him. And then often it's necessary to, to confess to other people. But first of all, we need to get clean and get right with God and experience that cleansing and renewing from the Lord. He brought the Lord, brought it for the Lord, and he said, I didn't cover my sin. He uncovered it and he confessed his sin and transgressions to the Lord. And confession means that we call our sin um, what God calls our sin. It means calling it by the right name. So it's interesting when this word comes into to the Greek. Um, word in Greek for confession, like the, the one John passage that we mentioned, is um, homologeo. So it's uh, the word from like homophone, something with the same sound, and logeo is uh, the word to be word. So the, the same word. So literally to confess your sin is to, to call it what God calls it. Um, because one of the ways we seek to hide and minimise our sin is we, we rename it, don't we? Sometimes we just blame other people for it, our spouse or whoever, or the dog. Um, but sometimes we reframe it, don't we? But very often we rename it. So we say, oh, I had a, I had a bit of a sense of humour failure, when we mean I had a fit of rage. We, we, so we just rename it, don't we? And people will say um, he was economical with the truth. And I mean, he told a, a flat-out lie. Or we'll say... Um, Mistakes were made. Well, that's more just sort of shuffling, shuffling it off, isn't it? Um, or people will say, uh, oh, he, he had a fling or an affair when he committed adultery and it was devastating. So we, we rename our sin and, and typically, well, we rename it with a smooth word to, to smooth it over. Um, and G.K. Chesterton said this, he says, nine times out of ten, it is the coarse word which condemns an evil and the refined word which excuses it. And so, it's interesting, isn't it? as we come to read the scriptures, very often we're just hit in the face, aren't we? With the, with the language, is very coarse, and it strikes us. And it's because it's exposing the, the horror and the ugliness of sin, and often we want to smooth over and cover over the ugliness of sin. And we, we don't confess it for what it is. So confessing our sins means calling it by what it actually is. And so with our, with our kids... It's important that when we, we're training them and with each other to, to say sorry, that we say, um, sorry, I did X, and then actually name it, please forgive me. Not just, I'm sorry, please forgive me, because I'm sorry can mean, I'm sorry that I got caught, or I'm sorry that I feel bad. We actually need to, to actually name the, the transgression um, so that it can be dealt with, so that we admit it. And, to and, and experience forgiveness. So David, he confesses just the ugly mess of his sin before the Lord and then experiences the forgiveness. He forgave the iniquity of my sin. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. You notice that? He's not faithful and nice to forgive us our sins and pretend it didn't happen. He's faithful and just. It's fair because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. It's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Actually dealt with. It's not just 
covered over and hushed up. And so, um, so this is just it's the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? That God calls us to um, repent and receive the forgiveness of our sins and, and to renounce it. And some, um, very often um, we, we get this wrong, the people, churches get this wrong and, and sort of present God as if he just wants to give everyone a, a big group hug whereby they can go on and continue in their sin and nothing ever gets dealt with. Well, that is not what we're taught in the scriptures, is it? We're taught that we need to repent of our sins, confess them, have them dealt with, and receive the cleansing and forgiveness. Well, David experienced forgiveness. It's a wonderful experience of forgiveness. And there's still consequences that just ran on that had to be dealt with, um, severe consequences. But nevertheless, his joy was restored and his usefulness was restored. Well, moving on much more briefly to this second part, verses 6 onwards, as we have this instruction now uh, to confess our sins and, and to seek the Lord. Verse 6, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. So David, as it were, just offers it open to the godly, to the congregation, and said, look, you need now to pray that your sins might be forgiven. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. We live uh, now is, is a day of grace uh, where we can receive the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 7, he returns to this um, picture of God as a hiding place. You are a hiding place from me. You preserve me from trouble. David had tried to hide his sins from God, but then he confessed his sins to God, and now he finds a hiding place in God. God is the hiding place where sinners can come and find refuge and shelter. And he says, you, sur you surround me with shouts of deliverance. So salvation here is communal. There's this, um, this company of people who are rejoicing. And we might think of just the, the joy of the redeemed, of God's rescued people. They, they come through the Red Sea and come out the other side. They're rescued. There's these cries of deliverance. And as it goes through the scripture, there are these shouts of deliverance. And the cries and the shouts of the cries and shouts for um, because we've been forgiven, because of the redemption. And we find that all the one to, to the end of the scriptures and in glory will be just praising God for the forgiveness of our sins and rejoicing before him. So there's this picture of God's people here just praising God for deliverance. Then eight and nine, there's this encouragement to accept instruction. Uh, verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And commentaries, they're, they're not quite sure. It's sort of divides between those who think this is the Lord speaking, a, a promise of God's guidance and deliverance, and those who think well, this is uh, David, as it were, now counselling and instructing the, the congregation. Either way, it's the, the Spirit of God who is giving the, the, the counsel. But it's an, an encouragement as we've um, confessed our sins to be those who then receive instruction and teaching. It's a new, this new humility which springs from the knowledge that we've had our sins forgiven. And it's a wonderful picture. I was sport for choice, really, with, for, for a children's talk. Uh, verse 9 would be wonderful. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding. Um, as you think of a, a, a donkey that you're, you're trying to lead with. It doesn't, 
doesn't want to go and it doesn't want to know what's good for it. And how often we can be like that, that stubbornly refusing God's good commands and saying, don't be like that. Um, and so there's this exhortation and it moves through to this final call to trust in the Lord. Uh, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. You have the wicked and the righteous, more echoes of Psalm 1. And a final call for us to rejoice in the Lord, be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you um, upright in heart. So there we have it, David's testimony and his instruction. And I think in a way it's, it's pretty, must be pretty humbling for David to have to, to do this and to, um, to, to give this, this counsel. He's, he's in, a, in a sense saying, you know, I, I messed it up really badly, but the Lord is gracious and I was forgiven and you can be too, therefore call on the Lord. Uh, and it remind, and so he's like this worked example of someone who's had their sins forgiven. It reminded me of, of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy. He says, like Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. And he is this example. And in a way, that's, um, that's what it's like to, to preach the gospel. We're saying behind us there's the, the, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the empty cross. And we're saying, look, oh, I'm a sinner, and my sins were nailed at the cross, and uh, yours can be too, and yours, sir, and yours, madam. <laughs> Come and have your sins nailed to the cross, just like I had mine nailed to the cross. You cannot really uh, preach or explain the gospel and be proud whilst doing that. As someone said, it's, it's one man telling another, one hungry man telling another hungry man where to find bread. And so this is David's testimony, his, his instruction, um, his wonderful teaching of, of where we can find the joy. And we just join then in this avalanche of praise. Um, and this is, this is this song. So we close with these words at the end, this call for us to worship the Lord. Uh, so be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Let's pray together. You've been listening to the sermon podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk. For more, thank you.